hope you have your Bible again with you and you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Um, and I know that we're not going to get finished with this today. Uh, this is going to be our last Sunday on Romans 8, and we're going to move on to another part of these messages. Uh, we'll, I will try and finish it tonight at the 6 o'clock service. I'm just simply telling you that if you'd like to hear the rest of this, you're welcome to come. Folks, I hope that you have spent some time in just sitting quietly at your home or desk or wherever you have your quiet moments, meditating upon these, these passages, these verses of Scripture. The more I read these, and, and even this morning as I was going over the, the notes uh, and reading the Scripture again, the thought dawned on me what Paul is sharing with those Roman Christians he has experienced in his own life. And that absolutely amazes me. Folks, God wants us to know him, not just simply through reading the scripture, and that is one of the great ways, not just through praying, and that is another way that we can know him, but on our day-to-day experience in life of knowing him, holding our hand, walking in front of us, walking along beside of us, walking behind us. He is with us. So I pray that Uh, The residual effect, I heard that word a long time ago, when you spray a plant with poison, it has a residual effect. It stays there for days and continues to work to defend the plant against insects that might attack it. I pray that we'll have a residual effect from this word of God being hid and stored in our hearts and our minds and that we will be made that much more aware that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for Romans chapter 8, and I pray, Father, that what we have studied and are going to study again today will find a place in our hearts and minds. And thank you again, Father, that you want to do so much in our lives, but you cannot do those things until we let you do for us what you've done through your Son. Thank you for the freedom we have in this country, but most of all, the freedom that we have because of the cross of Christ our Savior. Father, please bless us in these moments as we read and study your word. For we ask in your Son's name, amen. Let's read these verses once again, okay? Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 29, out of the Living Bible. For from the very beginning, God decided that those who came to him and all along he knew who would should become like his Son so that his son would be the first with many brothers. Now, we've, we've spoken of this many times a couple of weeks. In verse 30, Paul tells us six things that God has done for us in Christ. And having chosen us, he called us to come to him. And when we came, he declared us not guilty, feared us, filled us with Christ's goodness, gave us right standing with himself, and promised us his glory. And then beginning with verse 31, Paul begins a series of questions, and it seems in my count there are at least eight questions that Paul raises, and then he answers them. And I believe that Paul answers these questions, number one, being led by the Holy Spirit, and number two, out of and from his own experience with God. Just listen to these questions in Paul's answers. What can we ever say to such wonderful things as these? If God is on our side, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son for us, but gave him up for us all, won't he not also surely give us everything else? 
And listen to this first phrase in verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? And folks, how many of us don't like for people to say no to us? You know, I'll be honest with you. when, I, when I've got something on my mind, I expect everybody to agree with me. But there's some times we need to hear the word no. And folks, no is not a bad word, okay? And I want you to see how Paul, in answering these questions, uses the word no in such a positive and encouraging way. Let me read the question again, verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own will? God, no. God will not accuse us. He is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself. Listen to question in verse 34. Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? No, for he is the one who died for us and came back to life again for us and is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God pleading for us there in heaven. Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we're hunted down or destroyed, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? And if we're hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? And for a third time, Paul says, no. For the scriptures tell us that for his sake, we must be ready to face death. At every moment of the day, we're like sheep awaiting slaughter. And despite all this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, the angels won't, and all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, are where we are high above the sky in the deepest ocean. Nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. We have talked about how there are three areas that God wants to work in our life. Number one, what God the Father and Jesus desire to do for us. And for these last four Sundays and today, we're talking about what God the Father and his Son have already done for us. Beginning next Sunday, we'll talk about what God the Father and Jesus desire to do in us. Coming to know Christ as our Savior is just the tip of the iceberg. It is just the very beginning. And for a couple of Sundays, we'll look at what Christ wants to do in us. And thirdly, we'll look at what God the Father and Jesus desire to do through us. Please remember that in verses uh, 30 through 39, uh, Paul reveals what God has done for us in and through Christ. In 10 verses, he uses the personal pronoun us 26 times. Steve, that is the next slide, if you'll just put that up, okay? And again, you've seen this before, but I just want to remind you, this is a very rich passage of Scripture. In verse 30, again, six things that Christ has done for us. He has chosen us. He has called us. Steve, again, that's the next slide. I'm sorry. Um, Thank you. He has chosen us. He has called us. He has declared us not guilty. He has filled us with his goodness. He has given us right standing with himself, and he has promised his glory to us and then in verses 31 to 39 Paul presents five arguments to prove that there's no separation between the believer and the Lord and look at these things and the verses okay number one God is for us number two Christ died for us now we've already looked at those first two and this morning I want us to look at the third thing that Paul says God has justified us and again if you'll look at your Bible at verse 33. 
And listen to what it says here. Let me read that verse again. Just listen. I'm going to read that out of the Living Bible. Verse 33. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God know he is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself? Now, folks, that, that phrase, given us right standing with himself, is really the definition of a word that's used in the Bible that Paul uses frequently in the book of Romans, the word justified. God has justified us. He has given us right standing with himself. And you might say, well, that's not a big deal. But, folks, it is a tremendous deal. Justification or being justified means that Christ has declared us not guilty. And, folks, just think for just a moment. And, and this is one of those, those questions that you and I really need to, to meditate upon. In verse 33, Paul says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Folks, let me ask you something. If you and I were brought to God's court, there would be someone there accusing us and charging us with all of our sins. You know who that would be? It would not be God and it would not be his son. Because listen, Paul says in the verses, Will God accuse us? And he says, no. In verse 34, he says, will Christ condemn us? And he says, no. Folks, here's something again that, that, that just really, just I believe is in the heart of this passage. Who dares accuse men? It is Satan. Satan is always accusing men of their sin and their wrongdoing. And let me give you some examples of this, okay? In Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, just hang with me because I think this is a very important concept, okay? And, and you know that the book of Job is probably one of the oldest books in the Bible. And it was called a wisdom book because it helps mankind deal with and understand sometimes why bad things happen to the best of people. But folks, just look at this scene. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, Whence have you come? Satan answered the Lord from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Listen to God's description of Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord. Now listen to this. Does Job fear God for naught? Has thou not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now, touch all that he has, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only upon him do not put forth your hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. And you know the rest of the story, that catastrophe came, uh, came upon Job. And he lost all. He lost his possessions. He lost his family, his children. But he did not curse God. But Satan accused Job of turning against God. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, listen to the description of Satan here. I heard a voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God and the accuser of the authority of his Christ have come 
For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, just again, hold on. Hang with me, okay? 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Folks, I want you to think for just a minute what Paul is trying to say. And, folks, I believe you and I have studied Paul's past that the day that he trusted Christ as his Savior on the road to Damascus, prior to that, his life had been filled with rebellion against God, with self-righteousness, with murdering and persecuting Christians. Can you imagine the times that Paul heard other people accuse him of being a liar and a cheat because of all the things that he had done in his past against God? And I want to ask you something this morning. And I want to ask you to meditate upon this. If you are a person who has not yet come to Christ as your Savior, is Satan accusing you of being so sinful, so away from God that you could never be saved? Is Satan saying that you can never be saved and you must be condemned to the devil's hell forever? And, you know, if we become a Christian, we, we, we don't think about things like this, but I believe that Satan is working in the hearts of the lost to make them feel they'll never come to know the Lord. Folks, let me give you an example of this. And, and folks, I've never seen this in this passage of Scripture. In John chapter 8, beginning with verse 2, and you remember this story well, it is a woman caught in the very act of adultery. Now, just follow as I read this. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All right, first of all, Jesus has gone to what you and I would say is the church house. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, and they have become the agents of Satan and accused this woman of her sin. Do you and I understand that when we are accusing other people and they are God's child or we're accusing people that are lost, that God wants to save, that we're becoming like these Pharisees and scribes? Folks, we've got to be real, real careful how we judge other people because God is not finished in and with their lives yet. So this woman has been brought by the scribes and Pharisees before Jesus. She has been caught in adultery, and they place her in the midst of all the crowd. Verse 4, they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, folks, listen, there is no doubt of her guilt. And in verse 5, now the law Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such. There's no doubt that in the Old Testament, the Mosaic law said a woman caught in adultery could be stoned. She is guilty. And they asked Jesus, what do you say about her? And in verse 6, they said this to test him. Now, folks, listen, they're not only trying to destroy this woman, now they're trying to destroy Jesus. They want to accuse Jesus of wrongdoing. Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And once more he bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the eldest, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now stop and just think for just a minute. If you didn't know the conclusion of this story, what would you think? Here is this woman caught in the very act of adultery, standing in the presence of the very Son of God who has never committed sin. 
Jesus knows the Old Testament law that if a person's caught in adultery, they are to be stoned whether it is the man or the woman. And in verse 10, Jesus looks up and says to her, Woman, where are they? The Living Bible translates that, Where are your accusers? No one has condemned you. Has no one condemned you? She says, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Folks, look back at verse 34 in Romans 8, where Paul says, Who then will condemn us? Will Christ? And he says, No. I don't know if Paul knew at that time the story of this woman. The Gospel of, of John was written many years after Paul perhaps had even uh, entered ministry and perhaps even died. But folks, here is my point. Is Satan trying to tell you that you are unworthy to be saved? That is Satan's lie. Satan does not want you to know the Son of God as your Savior. But folks, in the blood of Jesus, all of our sins are removed. Even our past has been taken away. You remember the story of the ancient mariner. This is not in my notes. I'll not even go there. But you remember, if you had to read that in, in school, about the mariner who killed the albatross and they made him wear that, that bird around his neck when they got lost at sea and they didn't have any fresh water. And, and any time a person carries a burden, they would say it's like having an albatross around your neck. Folks, sometimes for people who have lived a sinful past, we carry that baggage around for years, and people keep reminding us. But the cross tells us that we are forgiven, and there's no one to accuse us, and there's no one to condemn us. And there is freedom in the cross and in the blood of Christ. Folks, this is such a powerful message here. Paul knew the hurt of his past. And I'm sure there were many nights in which Paul might have said, God, are you sure that you love me? There are probably times when Paul thought about those people that he'd persecuted and even that he had imprisoned and even killed. And I'm sure Paul would say in his heart, Lord, can you, can you really forgive me? I'm sure Satan would keep telling Paul, God can't love you. Think of all the people you hurt. Think of the people you kill. Think of Stephen that you watched. You held the garments and cloaks of the Jewish people as they cast stones and killed him. And Paul came to the knowledge that in Christ there's no condemnation because we've been born again into the kingdom of God and we've been freed of our sins. I don't know how this makes you feel. I only shout when I read this. I'm so grateful that my past has been washed away in the blood of Christ. This is what Jesus has done for us. Don't let Satan accuse you that you're unworthy to be a child of God. Amen. Don't let Satan keep you from knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan might be telling you and toning you you're lost forever and you can't do anything about it, but Satan's also telling you don't trust in Jesus. I believe that's why many people, when the invitation has come, and they know that they need a Savior, but they won't come because Satan is saying, he can't, he can't help you. You're beyond help. Let me tell you, no one is beyond help. And let me tell you why I say that. Listen to what Paul says in the last part of verse 33. 
He is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself. And then he describes what Jesus has done in verse 34. And he says, Jesus is sitting at the place of highest honor next to God pleading for us. Did you know that if you're lost this moment, your Savior is pleading for you? Pleading that you'll come to that point in time when you acknowledge that you're lost in sin and trust Christ as your Savior. What does this have to say to Christians? A person who at one point in time in your life were saved. Folks, being a Christian does not mean we are incapable of sinning. Let me get you to look at 1 John 2.1. I love this verse right here, 1 John 2.1. My little children, I write this to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, who is he talking to? He's talking to the church. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness. An advocate is one who stands before a court pleading the case of a person. And folks, let me tell you something. As a Christian, I sin. I don't really want to and don't mean to a lot of times. But I struggle every day with a multitude of sin, with selfishness and pride and anger and hate and prejudice and greed and lust and envy. And even as a Christian, we can suffer and struggle with addictions. Christians are not freed from the addiction of drugs and alcohol and pornography. And I think for many of us, and I said us, for many of us, one of our addictions is laziness and the kingdom of God work. And we suffer with those things. And Satan would accuse us of never being able to change. Satan would tell us God stopped loving us. And Satan will say, even to the Christian, we're unworthy and we're incapable of serving Jesus Christ. And you know why he's doing that? He wants to silence us. He wants to silence us. But look again at verse 33. Will God accuse us? Paul says no. Let me read something to you, and I'll close, okay? And this is out of one of Warren Wiersbe's books, and he's trying to explain the concept of justification. Listen to this. Understanding the meaning of justification brings peace to our hearts. When God declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ, that declaration never changes. That declaration never changes. In essence, he's saying, once saved, always saved. And I know some of you struggle with that. But folks, let me tell you something. Salvation is not a work of man. It is the work of God. Our Christian experience changes from day to day. You know what that means? All of us are struggling. One day we're on top of things. One day we're on fire for the Lord. The next day we might be down in the valley. We might be just as cold to the things of God as possible. But our justification, our right standing with God never changes. We may accuse ourselves. Men may accuse us. But God will take us. God will never take us to court and accuse us. Jesus has already paid the penalty. And we are secure in him. Folks, these are powerful, powerful verses. And I pray that they find a place in our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you can look into our hearts and you know what's there. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here that Satan is accusing of being unworthy to be saved, I pray, Father, for 
them to see the cross and the blood that you shed there for them. And I pray that you'll give them freedom and deliverance. And I pray for we who are believers, Father, who struggle daily with sin, maybe Satan's accusing us and trying to silence us. Maybe Satan is accusing this church and trying to stop us, Lord, from reaching out and reaching into the community and sharing the gospel. Lord, free us from the accusations of self and Satan and of others. Thank you, Lord, that you do not condemn us, but you seek to save us. And I just pray in these, in, these moments of in, invitation, Father, that you'll speak to hearts and people will be freed from sin and given power to live and the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen.